This morning, you can be proud as a church, maybe pat yourself on the back. This morning, you're being represented at the International Conference of the Wesleyan Church. Pastor Tom is a delegate there, and Heather and some of our team have traveled there to help lead worship, and so we are so proud of them, and they are really suffering because the International Conference is in Barbados this year. I know, what a tough but a tough trip, but we really are so proud of them. And coming to share with us this morning, we have Mark Wilson, and he was a pastor for 26 years and is now a professor at Southern Wesleyan University and helping to train young people, the next church leaders. And he's also a member of our church and an incredible friend. And if you know him, you know that he loves people. And so we are so excited that you're here with us today. And if you would help to welcome Mark as he comes to share with us this morning. Hey, hi everybody. Boy, what a joy to be with you today. Mother's Day. Wow, that's great. Love this church. Love Pastor Tom and the staff. What a wonderful, wonderful church family we have. And a joy to be able to speak on Mother's Day. See, for 26 years, I I did Mother's Day sermons, and I thought, well, I'm not going to get to do them anymore. And, And here I am. I get to do it with you. And that's awesome, awesome. So treat mama right. Treat her right. Kind of like the one family. They they said, mom, guess what? We've got a gift for you. You don't have to do any dishes today. She goes, well, thank you, children. That's so nice. Yep, we're just going to leave them in the sink, and you can do them tomorrow. <laughs> now, I noticed that the series that we're in is called Demo Day, and, and Tom, uh, when he called me and asked if I could do this, he, he said, you know, we're doing this here Demo Day, and I'm trying to think, now, how do you fit Mother's Day and Demo Day together? And I, I just couldn't get over this image of Granny with a sledgehammer. And, and I thought, I, I don't think that's going to work. I'm sorry. So I, I asked uh, Pastor Tom, I said, can I kind of divert from that and we get back to the demolition next week? And he said, sure, that's no problem at all. So we are not demoing um, today. We're going to do something different. There was a, a, a girl that her, her mother was always frazzled, just always uptight about stuff, so much stress going on in her life. She was always exhausted and and weary, worn out. She was always complaining, man, I just need some rest, and man, can I just have some peace and quiet? And so this, uh, her daughter decides to get her a gift for Mother's Day. And she looked all over, found the perfect gift. It was at the florist shop. She, She brought it to mom. Here it is, mama. It was a bouquet of flowers with a big pink ribbon on it that said, rest in peace. Now, that's the perfect gift for a stressed-out mama, don't you think? And I have a hunch that there is somebody here today, in fact, probably a good number of people here today, that you could use a gift like that. Because when you think about the way life is right now, I mean, it's stressing. You know, just lots of stuff, overcommitted, overwhelmed, exhausted, just so many things coming in, like you're playing whack-a-mole and maybe you're the mole. I mean, just lots of stuff happening in your life, and, and you're having trouble to figure this out, and you desperately are longing for some rest and some peace. Now, there are others here uh, that your life is filled with tranquility, piece of cake, plenty of sp- breathing space, plenty of space in your life. You know, it's, a, it's all calm and peachy keen. If that's the case for you, you can just take a nap right now. Just, just go to sleep. That's just fine. You can rest in peace. 
But for the rest of you, hopefully what I have to say today will be helpful uh, as we take a look at what it means to find this place. Isn't it interesting that in our society, in our culture today, with all these time-saving gadgets that we now have and modern technology, you would think that our lives would be less complicated, that we would have more time. But have you found that there's less and less time on your hands than what you had before? And so we have to figure this out. How can we handle when all these things are coming at us from every which way? Now, this isn't a brand new problem, by the way. I mean, it happened a long, long time ago. Like like almost 3,000 years ago, it was going on. And we see this uh, with the prophet Isaiah. And he writes about this in Isaiah chapter 28. Now, he's talking to Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim. The tribe of Ephraim, in another place in the Bible, was called the half-baked cake. Anybody here ever had half-baked pancakes? I've made a few of those myself. You know, like the heat's on way too high, it's just being overdone underneath, burning up, and on the top it's underdone. Have you ever had anything like that? <laughs> and, well, he said, that's what you are, Ephraim. You're a half-baked pancake. You're burning up underneath, and you're undone on top. And, you know, there, there are a lot of people, that's the way they live their life, that they're, the pressure's on way too high. They're burning out on one side, and they're undone on the other. And the problem is we're undone on the wrong side. The wrong things are left undone. And so this is a prophecy from Isaiah to, to Ephraim, the undone, half-done pancake. For for these people, it's this. Do this. Do that. A rule for this. A rule for that. A little here, a little there. Just do, 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 do. Crash. Do, 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 do. Crash. And God says, well, very well then. If that's the way you really want it, I didn't make you that way. I didn't design you to live that way. But, well, if that's the way you want it, well, with foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to this people. Like, I'm going to use just the craziest things, and I'm going to speak to you. These people to whom he said, this is the resting place, right over here. This is is the place of rest. Let the weary rest. This is the place of repose, over here. But you're not listening. They won't listen. God's given it to them. But they're not listening. He says, okay, well, if that's really the way you want it, well, then the word of the Lord for you will be, go ahead, do this, do that, a rule for this, a rule for that, a little here, a little there, so that as they go, they'll fall backwards and they'll be injured and snared and captured. And when we live like that, when we live in this hamster wheel of life, and we're living in the constantly overwhelmed, we're going to end up finding it a trap. We'll be captured, and we'll fall backwards. Isn't there another way than that? There's got to be a better way than living like that. I mean, we all long for that. We, we know that there's got to be. There's got to be a better path And Isaiah chapter 32 describes some other people who have found that better path. 
These people live in Jerusalem, the city of peace. It's the tribe of Judah. Now, not everybody who lived there had this blessing, but there were some who did. And maybe there are some today that you need this blessing. You've been in in that rat race. You know, the problem with the rat race is if you win it, you're still a rat. And, And you're on that hamster wheel. Here's what they said. Here's what God said to them, the blessing. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. And even though hail flattens the forest, and the city is leveled completely. Oh, how blessed you will be. You'll be sowing your seed by every stream, letting your cattle and your donkeys range free. And so these people have problems. They've got all kinds of issues. The hail is coming down, like just bing, 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 bing. The city is falling down. In fact, there's one translation that says, when the low places are brought low, when you're going through the low, low times. So when you're overwhelmed, stuff's coming in at you, and it's under, you know what? It doesn't matter how deep the water is your boat is in. What matters is how much water is inside of your boat. That's the issue. These people have found it. You see, there are two very different approaches, two very different perspectives. The first one is, is the path of pressurized striving. Do, 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 do. Crash. And the other one is living in the place of peace. Which one would you rather have? Which way would you rather live? I would, I have a hunch that everybody here would say, well, I'd, I'd like the peace path, please. <laughs> I don't want the other. I don't want to be like that. But yet we live that way. Let me tell you what the place of peace is. It, it can be summed up in three little statements. Kathy and I started Celebrate Recovery up at the church where we came from. That was the best thing we ever did. It was the best, safest, most wonderful groups we were ever a part of in our whole lives. And the first three steps that we taught people, they're very simple. And it goes like this. I can't. God can. I'll let him. I can't. God can. I'll let him. Could you do that with me right now? And say it with me. Ready? I can't. God can. I'll let him. That is the place of peace. That's the place of peace. When we're trying to control it all and manipulate the outcomes and make things happen, well, we can't do it. It doesn't work. I can't. I can't control how the things work out. I just can't. I can't control other people. I can't. You can't either. In fact, I looked in the Bible for where it is that you're supposed to control other people. I couldn't find it anywhere. There was only one person in the Bible that says you're supposed to control. You know who that is? Yourself. And that 
is a fruit of the Spirit. So what, well, even that one you can't even do without the Holy Spirit doing the work. Why do we try to control people? Why do we try to control outcomes? That's the, the old way, the half-baked pancake way. That, that's the way that works. I can't. God can. And I'll let him. And when we find that place of peace, oh, something beautiful happens. When I find the place of peace, it reminds me who I am. It reminds me who I am. When I'm in stinking thinking, when I'm in that uh, hamster wheel, I forget who I really am. And every one of us, we have a false narrative that we go to when we're not thinking straight. You know, when we need a checkup from the neck up, when we're, when we're consumed by this stinking thinking. There's, there's, there's false narratives, false stories, false truths. I mean, we think they're true, but they're not true. And we don't even th- intentionally think about it. We just live it. And let me just give you four of these. These are, these are not what we are but sometimes we think we're that. Like the first one is, I am what I have. I am what I have. If I just have enough stuff, if I have a better house, if I had a nice car, if I have good clothes, well, then that makes me worthwhile. That makes me valuable. That's not true. And that's not the way to happiness either. It's really not. Oh, it's kind of nice to have some money, but money doesn't buy you any happiness, believe me. I read a study of of the Forbes 400 richest people. They did a satisfaction of life survey with those guys, and then they compared it with a village in Kenya and then the Inuit in Greenland, Iceland. And you know what? They found there was zero discernible difference between any of them. Like the guy that was the Fortune 500 CEO, that guy, had, had no more happiness than an Inuit who survived on whale blubber. And those guys didn't have the internet either. Well, maybe that contributed to their happiness, right? No, it's not what you have. It's not the treasure you have in the bank. It's the treasure you have in your heart. The the treasures beyond this earth, the eternal treasures, those are the ones that give you happiness. Here's another false narrative. I am what I do. I am what I do. And we do this a lot, don't we? Like, we, we, we identify ourselves by what we do. And when I left being a pastor and I became a professor, that was a, an identity thing for me. It was really hard because for so many years, I was, that was what I did, and I am what I do. And I really had to struggle through, what does that look like? What, what am I now? In fact, even today sometimes I say, I'm still a pastor, just cleverly disguised as a professor. But underneath it, if I am what I do, there's a big problem there. Because what happens when I can't do it anymore? What happens when I retire? What happens if something happens, you get sick and you can't do it? Does that mean you're not worth anything anymore? No, that's not true. I remember I would be riding on airplanes as a pastor, and I would hate it because they would ask me what I do. And as soon as my seatmate would ask me and I would tell them I'm a pastor, they would shrink back because they thought, oh no, I'm right next to a Jesus freak. Oh no, no, no. You know, and they'd try to shrivel up and I'd have to spend the whole rest of the time trying to convince them that I wasn't a weirdo. 
So sometimes I would just say, I'm an eternal life insurance salesman or something like that, you know, just to try to change it up. But now I'm on an airplane, and they say, oh, what do you do? And I say, I'm a college professor. They go, oh, really, a college professor? They always do that. And then they say, what do you teach? And I say, religion. They go, oh, well, I had it for two seconds anyway. We're not what we do. We are not human doings. We're human beings. And so we have to be what we're created to be. Here's a third one. This is a biggie. I am what people think. What people think of me. So therefore, my job is to impress people and make them all happy. Ha! That's a way for misery, isn't it? Because you'll never make everybody happy. Never, never, never. The only person I've ever seen make everybody happy is the guy that runs an ice cream truck. And we don't have room for all those ice cream trucks in central South Carolina. You can't do that. And I'll bet you anything, even the guy who drives the ice cream truck doesn't make everybody happy. If, if your identity is tied up to what other people think, that's called inauthenticity. You're being fake. Because to be authentic means that you are authoring your life, that you're actually writing the script. You're not letting other people have the pen to write the script of what your life is going to be. You're going to do that under God. You and God, God's, God, God's the main author, but, but you're writing. You're not letting everybody else write your script. If you're adjusting your life and, and, and valuing yourself by what other people might think of you, you're going to the wrong place. Or how about this one? This was a, happens a lot too. I am what I've been through. Particularly people that have been through hard stuff. Maybe something happened and it wounded them deeply. And then they will go back to that. And that becomes an identity marker for them. Yeah, well, if it wouldn't have been for the divorce, or if it wouldn't have been for the cancer, if it wouldn't have been for my crummy childhood, if it wouldn't have been that that person hadn't been drinking too much, and you use that. And that becomes your identity. But your identity is not your past. It isn't your past. Your identity is in your future. It's where you're headed. It's not where you've been. It's where you're going. And you're going to heaven with Jesus. And so that's where your identity lies, right there. You see... These things, false identities, I have I'm what I have, what I do, what people think, what I've been through, they're nothing. Absolutely nothing. Here's the real identity. I am the beloved. I am the beloved daughter of God. And I'm the beloved son of God. I am loved deeply at the deepest place, and that's enough for me. That's your identity. And when I live in that piece of, a place of peace, I can't, God can, I'll let him. When I live there, it reminds me who I am. And the place of peace also reminds me how I'm made, how I'm created. 
You see, God wired us all differently. We all are, are unique individuals. In fact, our, our thumbprints, they're all different from each other, but everything about us, our spiritual soul print is different too. You're not the same as the person next to you. Isn't that wonderful? That we're all different, and that's a good thing. And so I, I've been thinking about this. Like as we live in the love of God and we live in this place of peace, and then we, we're called then to love God back, that each of us, we have these spiritual love languages that are, are ways that, that we can receive and express God's love and be most authentically who we are. I, I've been thinking about this and teaching on it just recently. I'd like to write on it um, eventually. But um, I, I found this interesting. Just a fascinating concept. It's based on the great commandment. You know, Jesus said, love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Well, let's think about that. The heart. So some people, your love language is heart. Like, it's passion. You just love Jesus. You're like, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? And, and these guys are the ones that like to sit in the front at church, and they raise their hands like this when we sing. And if we had a worship night, you'd be there. And they say, let's keep on singing. Right? I mean, that, you're just passion for Jesus. And then, then the soul people, those are the contemplatives. The, the contemplatives, they're the ones that, that do this deep introspection. They would be the ones that like to go to Potter's Place. If you don't know what Potter's Place is, ask, ask around until you find out because it's an amazing place, particularly if you're a contemplative. You go to a prayer cabin, you get alone with God, you have solitude, you like to journal and reflect on life and stuff like that. The third are, the, those are the mind people. These are the, the intellectuals. Like, they love God with the way they think. Like, they're the ones that say, Jesus died to take away your sins, not your brains. And so, like, they love to study and to dig and they ponder and they puzzle. They, they would love to, for instance, do a study of Leviticus. Let's just dig that out all the way to the bottom. And, hey, now let's go to Revelation. Or maybe they'll do, um, maybe theology. They like just thinking in, about the deep, deep issues of theology. And then they're the strength people. They're the activists. And the activists like to roll up their sleeves and get things done. They say, let's just quit sitting around singing kumbaya. Let's make something happen here. And so, like, they're the leadership people. They're the ones that, that make things happen. Um, they're, they're the ones that, if they see a cause, they're going to make it happen. And they're also the people that serve others. The activist person is the one that would be cutting the grass for the widow next door because she can't do it herself. That's an activist. Okay, now that I put it, everybody here, I, I'm, my theory is that everybody is one or two of those primarily, and the other two are probably not as much, all right? So here's my question. How many of you would say, I am the heart, I'm a passion heart person. Raise your hand, right? Passion heart people. Let me see it. Okay, raise both hands, both hands. You're passionate people, remember? <laughs> Okay, how about the contemplative people? Like, the, you, you like to get alone, solitude, journaling, and all that. Contemplatives, can I see you guys? Okay, great. How about the um, mind people and the intellect to think about, think about ideas and stuff like that? How many of you guys? Okay, yeah, some of you. Okay, how about the activist people? Let's get things done, people. Okay. Wow, isn't that interesting? It's about 25%, like all the way across. Each time, every time I've done this so far, it's been that way. And maybe that's what the body of Christ is all about, that we all bring our love language, we bring our gifts, and we sing in harmony together. And what that means, a couple of things, just real quick. I could do a whole series on this, but we don't have time to do that. But just real quick. Um, One is, don't compare your love language with the person next to you. 
Like, it isn't like their love language is a good one and yours is a crummy one. And vice versa, right? Like, like, like if you're a passion person like this, don't judge the people that don't like to do that. And vice versa. If you're like the intellectual type, that you, you, you can't stand the music, but you love it when Pastor Tom gets up to talk. So let's get on with it so we can get on with the real meat and potatoes. You know, maybe, maybe uh, you need to cut some grace for the other folks, right? And just bless them and love them in that. Uh, if, if you're a contemplative, well, that's just really great, but maybe you ought to roll up your sleeves and do something. And if you're a doer, maybe, maybe the idea is to pause and take some time and, and reflect on it. Because when Jesus said it, he didn't say love God with all your heart or soul or mind or strength. He said love God with and, 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 and. So take the one or two that are the biggies and major in those. Make those your main one. Make that your, your, your main thing. But then, but then explore and experiment with some of the others, right? And so this is the way it works. When I live in this place of peace, it reminds me how I'm made. And then thirdly, when I live in this place of peace, it reminds me who's in charge. Boy, isn't that great to know that you're not in charge of the universe? You don't have to be in charge of all that. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Could you turn to the person next to you and just say, you're not in charge of the universe. Just tell them, they're not in charge. And you can respond and say, aren't you glad about that? (laughs) That's right. You're not in charge. Boy, that's a relief. See, sometimes when I'm not thinking straight and when I get into hamster wheel mode, I think I'm in charge of the universe. I think I've got to carry all these burdens and all these problems. I've got to carry all this stuff with me. But there's already somebody did that. I mean, he took care of it. There's already one in charge of the universe, and when I'm trying to be in charge, I'm trying to take his job. I'm pretending like I'm God, and I'm not. One time, I remember I was in this place halfway between sleep and wakefulness. So it was a half a dream. Have you ever had anything like that, sort of a weird, sort of awake, sort of a, a sleep? But I had this half a dream. And I dreamed, I was going up a mountain, and I was carrying a heavy backpack, and it was just so heavy, and I could hardly make it. I was staggering up this mountain. And then Jesus comes from the top of the mountain, and he's coming down the path to meet me. And he smiles, and he says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm trying to carry this load up the mountain. And he says, well, let me see what you have. And I I, I take off my backpack and I give it to him and he opens it up and he pulls out a big rock. And he says, why are you carrying this? You don't need this. And then he throws it over the side of the mountain. And then he reaches in my backpack and he pulls out another big rock. He says, you don't need this one either. And he throws it over the side of the mountain. And then he zips up my backpack and gives it to me. And I put it on, and it's light. There are no more rocks in there. And then I woke up, and I labeled my rocks the opinions of other people and anxiety. These were two things that I'd been carrying in my backpack, and I didn't have to carry them. Jesus wanted to carry them. He said, cast your cares upon me. I care for you. I care for you. You don't have to carry that stuff. Just let Jesus throw the boulder off the mountain. Let him do it. Let him do it. The place of peace reminds me who's in charge. 
Boy, that's such a beautiful thing. You know what? When, here's what you do when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're stressed out, when you don't know what to do or where to turn. Call God's 911 telephone number. I mean, it's a good number. His, his number always there, and he always answers, always home. Here's what it is, Psalm 91.1, God's 9-1-1. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, He's my refuge, and He's my fortress, and He's my God, and in Him will I trust. I don't have to carry all this stuff by myself. I'm just going to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. I'm going to rest in the, in the shadow of the Almighty. Don't wrestle, just nestle. That, that's what he's saying there. You don't have to do this by yourself. You can turn it over to him and let him do the heavy hefting. Boy, that's the place of peace. Now, just real quick, at the final moments here, I, I want to give you just a few practical suggestions for finding the place of peace or going back to it because here's what happens. I mean, for all of us, we, we might be in it for a, while, a little bit and then, and then stuff happens and then our lives get too busy and then we go, oh, you know, and we have to get back to it again. And so these are just a few little practices that I found helpful for me to regain that, that place of peace in my heart. The first one is called um, recreation. Now, I, I would have used the word recreation, but you would be thinking of motorsports if I was doing that, and I'm not talking about motorsports here. I'm saying that we live in a pattern of replenishment and recreation. There's a Hebrew concept of day that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 that I think was helpful for us. It's, there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and there was morning the second day. The Hebrew day begins in the evening, and then they sleep. It starts with rest, and then it goes to meaningful work. Now, we get that the other way around, don't we? We we get it backwards. So we, like, we get up in the morning, we start our day there, rush, 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 hurry, hurry, crash, 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 you zoom, 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 and all day long, and then, (gasps) and then we exhaust it, right? And so what do you do? Like you binge on Netflix or you play video games or whatever it is that you do just to veg out until you crash and go to sleep and then you get up and do the same thing over and over and over again. Well, that's one way you can do it. Do and do, do and do, rule on rule, little rule, little here, little here. Don't do it. That's the pancake way. Well, try the other way. Start with rest. And as you rise, it's meaningful work. I'm going to work. Yeah, I'm going to work hard but from a center of rest. You see the difference between the two? What replenishes you? Find what that is and then fill the tank. Number two is pause, to pause. Now, those of you who are musicians, you understand how important rests and pauses are in songs, right? Like, for instance, let's say you took a song and you took out all the pauses and rests. It would be like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I found, but now I see... That's not beautiful. But what if you go, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, it's a completely different story. And yet we build our lives with all this stuff and we don't even put any rest into it and we wonder why our life is so jangy and it's not a beautiful song. 
The way to make it beautiful is to put rest into it. That's what Sabbath is all about. That's why it's a command to pause. It reminds us that the world can go on without us, that we're not in charge of the whole thing. Three is reflective solitude. Reflective solitude. Just taking some time to think about what you've been through, like for, through the day, for instance, and draw meaning from that. You're going to go through it. Why not grow through it? Why not find something that's really meaningful and helpful for you for tomorrow as you reflect on, on your life? The fourth suggestion is safe relationships. Like, is there, Are there any people in your life that you just feel totally safe with? You know they have your best interest in mind. They care about you, and you can be totally yourself with them. If you have somebody like that, nurture that relationship. And if you don't have somebody like that, then pray hard and look hard until you find someone because no one is an island. You need somebody that cares enough about you this way. I have a friend like that, by the way, who lived, uh, he lives up in Wisconsin. He's my best friend up there. My little girl, my, my, my little granddaughter, Lily, was in the hospital right now. And um, my good friend, that soul friend, drove three hours each way just a couple of days ago just to visit her in the hospital. And the reason why he did it was because he's my friend. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And, and that's what we need. Our friends like that that will step in when everybody else steps out, that, that are there for you all the way. I hope you have a friend like that. Look for him. Meaningful service is the next one. To do something good for somebody, to bless somebody just because. You don't get anything out of it except for the joy of doing it. And when you do it, it works really well. I saw this with my mother. She, when, when my dad died, she didn't know what to do because her whole life revolved around him. Like... He was the epicenter of her life. And then he died, and here she is. She didn't know what to do. She was lost for a while until she figured it out. You know what she started doing? She started visiting hospice patients, people who are dying, and she sang hymns to them. And because she did that, um, many, many people found comfort in their last days. And for years, every single day, she would get up and she would drive to wherever these hospice patients were. Little, she's a little lady, like only four foot. Like, you think I'm short. I mean, she's shorter than me. And, and like she would look between the dash and the steering wheel, like this. And she would drive there to visit what she called the old people, even though she was 94 years old herself. I didn't have a heart to tell her she was a lot older than they were. She visited them. You know, they gave her an award um, as the hospice volunteer of the year of a multi-state area. But, and what she found was that she had to replace her grief with meaningful service. That, that's what happened. And it was her, her love language was activism anyway, so that would just work, work perfectly for her. What can you do to make a difference in somebody? Pay, pay lunch for someone. Do something nice for somebody. Just because. Just blow some stranger's mind. Wouldn't that be fun? And then the last one is retreat or pilgrimage. Now, I don't mean vacation. I know people say, ah, we, I need a vacation. And, and what you're going to do with that, sometimes you just veg out all the more and, and you're not really getting replenished. Like, what I'm saying with a retreat or a pilgrimage is putting spiritual meaning into it. Take a purposeful trip. And a change of pace and a change of place gives a change of perspective. You see it in a different way. 
I just want to encourage you to think about it this way. Well, I hope these thoughts will be helpful for you. Take whatever works, whatever feels like God maybe was trying to say to you through what, we, what uh, I've shared. And whatever, if it is, if whatever doesn't fit, just let it go. But I know God has something good in store. Let's, let's join our hearts together. Would you please stand with me? And we're going to pray together. Well, Lord, we praise you and we thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives and how you've helped us. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the pathway of peace. You've provided it. You've given this this beautiful place. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for the times that we forget about that and we go to vain striving. We go to the hamster wheel. Lord, help us not to go there. I pray, Lord, that you would put our hearts at rest and peace in you. Keep our minds in perfect peace because our minds are fixed on you. And we thank you, Lord, that you promised us that you provide a peace that passes our understanding. We love you, Lord, and we praise you today in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen.